Welcome back to another exciting, jam-packed episode of Funville Podcast. My name is Jeremy Harper. I'm from Howraiser. His name is Dusty Thibodeau from the Warhawk Report. Missing in action tonight is Shane Metlin, but that's okay. You and I can handle this, Tibbs, right? I don't know. It's it's a lot to lot to carry. Listen, I'm telling you, Tibbs, we can handle it. And I'll tell you why. We're professionals. We have been we have been placed in the crucible, uh, in the fire that was uh, was Sunbelt Media Days, and we came out tougher than ever. So we can do this show. Just you and me. I still can't believe how hungover you were on day two. I I had some beer. It was fun. But you know what? We plowed through it, just like we're going to plow through tonight. Before we get to our guests, which are many, we have a little bit of Sunbelt business to discuss, including, but not but not uh, limited to, the discussion of some QB1s being named this week. Chandler. Chandler's going to be quarterback. <laughs> I think every quarterback in the Sun Belt is named Chandler. We got two at least in Louisiana. Chandler Rogers from U- ULM was named QB1. Not surprised. And then Chandler Fields. Fields. Not surprised by that one either. Also a sophomore. Are they the same guy? Are they kind of moonlighting back and forth? Not in the least bit. <laughs> also, name QB1, uh, which is probably the least guarded secret in all of college football, Lane Hatcher from Texas State. He head Boobcat. Head Boobcat. Given the keys, perhaps stoking that Arkansas State-Texas State rivalry that I want so much. So I'm pretty excited about that. So for the most part, uh, really just down the line, the quarterback situation in the Sun Belt going as we, we, as we foresaw it. I, I've had no surprising breaks out of the quarterback position. The big surprise that did come out, yeah. the guys that stand behind the quarterback. Go on. Rashid Ali. Yes. Of Marshall. It was announced that he would be taking a leave of absence from the team due to a personal matter. Indefinite. Indefinite. Of absence. Coach Charlie Huff said that there was some personal issues that had to be taken care of. And, man, you know what? Listen, there's nothing less important than football. There really isn't. If you've got something in your life that you need to be there for, football can wait. There's going to be plenty of games. So I say to Rashid Ali, get your stuff together. Take care of your business. No regrets. Football will be waiting for you when you come back. But what do you think that does to Marshall in the Sunbelt East? Oh, we, I we, had him, we had him as a potential dark horse of, of the East. I but what does that, that do for them? Um, even though I just said that football is meaningless, but if football is everything – and losing to me, Rashid Ali, for these games is really a tough ball blow. He is the all-star of the team. You got a team there that's that's kind of looking for some veteran or, or a new presence at quarterback. They're in a new conference. Everything's new. Rashid Ali was like the jewel of that team. Like they're playing Notre Dame in week two. Rashid Ali would have been the guy that, was, that the uh, announcers were going to talk about when they talked about the hurt. And now Ali is gone. So maybe. Uh, maybe he might come back. I don't know. It's an indefinite. What does indefinite mean? Now, coach, coach Huff said that definitely he's going to miss the first game. Not a big loss. I, th- I think they can handle Norfolk state regardless. Are you sure? Because you, you know what? You give a lot of credit to these smaller FCS teams. I would, I would, I would no longer pick Marshall to cover, but I would pick <laughs> them on the money line. Uh, anyway, it's always hard to me. Tibbs, it's always hard to lose a star of the Sun Belt. He is just yes. one of those guys that that you would hear uh, in national publications from national pundits from time to time. It's good to have that kind of representation. To lose him not only hurts the herd, it hurts the Sun Belt. But again, things some things are just much more important than football, and we wish Rashid Ali. Sean Clark put uh, Bryce... Chase Bryce in a, in a bubble to protect him, please. <laughs> uh, you know what? The thing about Chase Bryce, I feel like he's a tank. You know, I've seen him in action. He's a big guy. 
He takes a lot of hits. I don't think he gets hurt. Please, please, Sean Clark, for the love of God, <laughs> protect the man. Mm. Jamie Chadwell, Grayson McCall needs a massage. He needs bodyguards. Here's my thing about Grayson McCall. You know, like he he already had like the whispers of the NFL in his ear. I could see him possibly getting hurt at the beginning or mid point of the year and then just packing up that team. being like okay listen i've got a future in football here i can't get hurt anymore in college i'm shutting it down for an injury that you might be able to recover from what do you think am i just reaching grasping at straws there or has the have i become jaded by modern college football i don't i don't know and, and the reason i said we still don't know what his current state is going into the season yeah you know, we talked to him at Sunbelt Media Days. He said, it's going well. I'm throwing well. Or I'm throwing. He didn't say that he was throwing well. He and did. So That's how we, he put it. He said he was throwing. You're right. Yeah. We just don't know how he is. Mm-hmm. Maybe that after that first game, he packs it in. Could be. Maybe Could it be. is. That would, that would be the smart move. But still, you're just like, you'd, you'd like to see – You'd like to see him play a whole season because it would be good for uh, the Chanticleers, but also be good for the Sun Belt. Something that also wasn't good for the Sun Belt, Keith Galman for South Alabama safety, led the team in tackles in 2021, had 59 tackles. Done. Done for the season. Torn pectoral. Have you Luda. ever? Hmm? Luda. Luda. What? Luda. What does that mean? They still got Luda. Oh. Anyway, have you ever torn a pectoral? I've never done anything that would make me be in a position to tear a pectoral. Have you ever torn any kind of muscle? No. What is the most severe injury you've ever had? Broken kneecap. Yeah, that sounds pretty rough. I broke a small toe, like the little toe. I broke that. Is there a good story to it at least? Yeah. I was, ex- I was working at a lumber yard and I was explaining to this guy that I was, that's my coworker, what a genius I was because I was a college kid and I was so smart and the future was bright. And we were moving like these enormously heavy blocks that we used to prevent the uh, forklift from rolling away. And I, As I was talking, I hurled one of the blocks away from us and it bounced back and came back and crushed my toe. And the guy I was talking to said, how much of a genius are you now, slick? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so I broke my toe. So you can only count to nine? No, no, I was still able to count. No, I didn't use my toes to count. Yeah. Anyway, we've got, speaking of counting, We've got not one guest tonight. Two? No, no, we don't have two guests tonight. Three? We have three guests tonight. We have... You're going to have to help me out with with some of the names. Because some of them escape me. There's so many. But we have Joe Icono. Icono. That's right. We'll let him tell us if it's wrong. I think it's Joe Akano. He is from Army. And guess what? Army, let's just say, has a prolific history with the Sun Belt, including coming up. You want to hear some more history that I learned this week? Oh, what's that? Sun Belt Conference. 0-29 against the Pac-12. You know what? I saw you put that stat out, and uh, I was both stunned, but I was not surprised. I was stunned yet not surprised. I don't know how that works, but that's what it was. I was like, I know that Arkansas State, whom I'm a citizen of, have visited the Pac-12 on numerous occasions, and we always come back soundly defeated. So the, the teams has our number. The teams with the closest potential of upset over Pac-12, yep. I'm not even with us anymore. Idaho and New Mexico State. You know who does well against the Pac-12? It's the Mountain West. How come we can't 
get some of that magic dust that the Mountain West has. Have you not been to San Marcos or Monroe or Lafayette? There's no mountains. <laughs> it's too damn flat in the Sun Belt. Maybe Appalachian State can go out there and, and help us with that. They can make that 3,000-mile trip to Pac-12 land. Speaking of making trips, yep. you talked about Army invading the Sun Belt. Yeah. Our other guest, Andrew Jones ah. from Tar Hill Illustrated, is going to talk with us about North Carolina coming into the Sun Belt. Yeah. Not as a not as a realignment, Jeremy, okay. but they are making back-to-back uh, trips into Sunbelt country as they you know, face Appalachian State and Georgia State. This could very well be, Tibbs, a sort of audition for North Carolina. You know, they know that the ACC is kind of on shaky ground. You got the Big Ten and you got the SEC kind of picking off teams left and right. They might say, hey, Sunbelt. Why don't you take a look at us? We're hit. We're happening. We're up and coming. Out of those two teams in your commissioner, Gil, which one are you taking? Between who? Army and North Carolina. Oh, gosh. Well, you know, I'm above all. I'm a patriot. So, you know, I, I, I respect what Army brings to the table. But I feel like North Carolina also has a fairly good basketball program. And baseball. So, yeah, and Sunbelt could use some basketball, you know, a leader in basketball. So I guess if push came to shove, I'd have to go to North Carolina. But you know what? Why not both? We're at 14. Let's get 16. Got to have balance. Got to add somebody from the West. Now we have a third guest tonight. Somebody that's a little out of the ordinary. Yes. That's it? Just yes? I was agreeing with you. Do you want me to not agree with you? Well, I thought it was a perfect segue for you to say, Yes, and that person is? And that person is Director of Volleyball for ULM Warhawks, Mm. Charlie Olson, as he gives us an education on volleyball and tells us the ins and outs of the Warhawks as they look to improve on their seventh-place preseason prediction in the Sunbelt West. Yeah, you know, he drops a a, a, – I think he's going to drop a fact on me that I did not realize about ULM Volleyball. And I'm looking forward to talking to him about it. I'm glad you are, because that's why we have him on the show. <laughs> All right, let's get, get going. Who do we have in the green room? We're still a little over a week away from Sunbelt Conference action starting. But we're starting to peek ahead into weeks two, three, and even beyond, Jeremy. And why not? We, are, we plunge deep into the Sunbelt, and that means plunging deep into the schedule. And a team that's going to get really burnt. By the Sun Belt. At least we hope so. (laughs) North Carolina Tar Heels are going to take back-to-back trips into the Sun Belt as they will travel to Boone, North Carolina to face App State and Atlanta to face Georgia State. Joining us to talk about the Tar Heels, Andrew Jones with Tar Heel Illustrated, part of the Rivals Network, joins us. Welcome in and and tell us, how is Mac Brown going to fare in the, the Sun Belt? Appreciate you guys having me on. Um, I don't know. That's a really good question. I don't. I think there's so many question marks about this North Carolina team. I don't think anybody can sit here and say A, B, and C are certainties. Uh, there's A. They have a lot of talent, a lot of talent. A lot of it's young, so you don't know what that means when kids get on the field, especially early in the year and in road games. And two, what I expect will be very different atmospheres. Insane in Boone, and who knows what to expect in a noon game at Georgia State. So uh, I think that both games can be tests for this club in part because of the atmospheres, but also because I think that uh, these two teams are better than people realize, especially Georgia State. I don't think anybody realizes that that they actually played pretty well after the Carolina game last year. Most Carolina fans sort of dismissed them. They all respect App State, but these are two very losable games for North Carolina. Do you take anything from that game last year against Georgia State, though, where y'all did get the 59-17 win over the Panthers? Or do you feel that these are just kind of night and day that's in the past and and we're going to see completely different teams in a a different game this year? Well, what I take from it, and I said that night, I tried to warn Carolina fans that that Georgia State was much better at the line of scrimmage than the score would indicate. In fact, there were a lot of wide open receivers, especially in the short passing game that the quarterback for Georgia State missed. In fact, I think that kid transferred about a month later. He really struggled that night. 
And I think they knew, they saw the tape, they saw the missed opportunities that were left all over the place by Georgia State. So it looked really good on the scoreboard, but I think the coaches, when they looked at it on film and graded it, they were concerned and they had every right to be concerned because it was a, a intermittently horrible defense and an occasionally good defense. And, and they were fortunate that night, but they are a different team now and they are a different defense. I think that the, the approach under Gene Chizik will handle a lot of the simple stuff better than the approach under Jay Bateman. He threw too much at these kids. There was too much communication. He was calling two plays per snap sometimes and letting them to sort it out, which was kind of crazy. And, and as a result, lots of dudes were wide open over the middle, not just for Georgia State, but for other teams too. So I think the Panthers are, were better than they looked that night, especially to the naked eye. And I think that North Carolina is a lot different defensively now, and they will be different uh, going down there to Atlanta. Andrew, uh, Georgia State's uh, a little bit of a dark horse in that really tough Sunbelt East. But the favorite is Appalachian State, and they're playing with a lot of confidence. In fact, if you look online, if you look through the Twitters first, they're very excited about the game with the Tar Heels coming in. I think they've sold out the game. But it's a smaller venue. It's not a venue. It's not an ACC venue. How does that how does that affect the team being in that sort of compact area? I heard uh, I heard Sean Clark on a radio show the other day, and he said that they brought in ten thousand extra seats. They're going to have 40,000 at the Rock. Why so 30,000. Why do you put 10,000 seats? I don't know. Um, 30,000 at the Rock is pretty Premium seating at the 50. It, yeah, that's, you know, I've, I've heard people connected to App State and the Boone area say it's the biggest thing that's ever happened there. Keep in mind, Roy Williams took one of his teams there or maybe it was before Roy, I think maybe after Roy got to North Carolina, a Carolina team opened up the basketball arena at App State, but App State basketball doesn't move the needle. App State football moves the needle there. And this is an opportunity not just to beat Carolina, but to beat them again, because App went to Chapel Hill and, and delivered Mac, I guess it was his second loss. His first loss was to Wake Forest. In fact, Carolina loses at home to App, and a week later is a – two-point conversion situation away from maybe upsetting Clemson. So um, that's, that. That's I think, how good App is. And I think that um, Carolina remembers that. And they haven't really talked too much about it. Their focus hasn't really been anybody else when I talk to the kids. It's more about the chip on the shoulder, how they played last year, the terrible showing in the ball game. But I imagine when we get to next week, when they're in game week for App State, They'll talk, some of the kids that, are, that were on that team will talk about that because they didn't play well, but they also got whipped. They got whipped at the line of scrimmage. I think they got out schemed at times. They were beaten by that day, which was a better football team. And I do think because of that, uh, they'll have App State will have their attention. Carolina will be ready to play when they go into Boone. Question is, will all those young guys be ready to handle that atmosphere? And I think what would be a very, very confident team playing a really good culture, a club that knows what it's all about and understands itself, even though it will be an opener. Um, it's a, it'll be an extremely difficult game for North Carolina. You know, you were talking about some of the younger guys there at North Carolina. Uh, who do you think uh, teams like Appalachian State and later Georgia State is going to have to look out for that we haven't seen uh, pop on the radar for North Carolina? Well, they have 10 true freshmen on the depth chart. And they had a top 10 recruiting class, top 12 recruiting class. Max said it's as good a class he's brought in as far as once the kids arrived. And some of these kids, I think, are going to play a lot. Andre Green is a wide receiver who is cut out of the mold of a dude you see on Sundays. They got two running backs, George Petaway and Amari and Hampton, who at some point both could be the main ball carriers at some point this season. I'm not sure that's going to be the case when they go to Boone. DJ Jones is a junior, has a little bit of experience. You're probably going to lean on the experience early and ease these kids in. Although Andre Green is so good. And the kids, the way they talk about him is as if he's already the second best receiver on the team. Josh Downs is a record setter. Uh, he set Carolina records last year with catches and receiving yards. But Andre Green somebody I could see stepping up early and just being another dude that they have at receiver. Uh, so I think that, that those are the young guys that App State fans might hear their names, might see them do some stuff. I think defensively, there's a lot the, – the, the Carolina defense is a little bit more experienced. They have a lot more layers to it. 
Uh, Travis Shaw was a top defensive tackle in the country in the class of 2022. He's in the rotation, but he's not going to get 35 snaps. He may get 12 to 15 early in the year. So it's more on the offensive side and it's the skill guys. And then of course, Drake May is a red shirt freshman and he's the starting quarterback. And I, and I think he won that, that battle pretty decisively in spite of what the staff is saying. And I think he has a chance to be outstanding, you know, Sunday outstandings, but lots of potential Sunday guys, a lot of potential Sunday guys with very few or no snaps under their belt at this point. So we're used to seeing the games where App State's going to North Carolina, you know, the G5 going to the P5. How did this kind of happen where back-to-back weeks, a P5 is going into the G5 and and ironically into the same conference? Two doses of Sunbelt heat. Nobody can withstand that. Andrew, how are they going to withstand that? You know, the Georgia State thing was all all about recruiting because they recruit Atlanta hard and they get Georgia Tech every other year. So they go down there and now they're going to have three straight years where they go to Atlanta. Uh, I think the North University of North Carolina's largest contingent of alumni outside the state is in Atlanta first, Washington, D.C. second. So I think that's part of it as well. Uh, it is kind of a head scratcher when you think about it, but this program needs road wins. They have they don't have many of those in recent history. So it's an opportunity to get some of those. As far as app goes, I'm not 100 percent sure how this came about. I, I was surprised when we learned that they were going to go to app but i think it's cool though because they've been playing home and home with east carolina for a long time and app state has risen to east carolina's level so if you're going to go to greenville every once in a while i guess it makes sense you got to go to boone too and to be honest with you after they lost at home to to app state a couple years ago if you're a north carolina fan you want this game you not only do you want them again, but you want to go to their place and beat them and then never go there again. They should never go back if they win this game. If they lose, they got to go back. And, if, and I'll tell you what, they've lost three in a row to East Carolina, and they think they've given up 160 points in those three games. So they're going to have to go to Greenville at some point and try to settle the score there. So with that said, I mean, obviously – you, you That's true, too, by the way. They've been throttled by those guys. You talked about the recruiting. You talked about being able to get that road win. What does it do on the flip side if Carolina can either split or even if, you know, they go 0-2 against the Sun Belt? What does that do for the season and then as the program as a whole? Well, it could be a disaster. Um, this is year four of part two of Mac Brown. It's time for the program to show on the field all of the improvements that it has been making. I think the program is in significantly better shape right now than it was when Mac took over. But at some point, you've got to show that on the field. You cannot have punts blocked inside the 20-yard line that lead to either immediate touchdowns or touchdowns on the next snap when you're going up against a struggling Florida State team in their place that gets them jazzed up. When you're in Raleigh and you're playing a rivalry game and it gets them jazzed up and and gives away points, you you can't do things like that. You can't go to Virginia Tech in a six-overtime game and miss two or three field goals in overtime and and end up losing game like that. So they have to be able to strut out. The dudes are going to strut out, but they got to take care of the intangibles. They got to take care of the small things, which allow the talent to, to show itself even more. And until they do that, it's hard to project that they will. I think that they will be a better team this year than they were last year, but a lot of Carolina fans that are talking 10 wins, 11 wins and stuff like that. That's just crazy talk right now. I think right now, with a lot of losable games on the schedule, eight and four would be a significant step forward, especially if they don't have those meltdown games. And they had some pathetic meltdown performances or no-shows last year. And in year four of a Hall of Fame coach with a great coaching staff with top 20 recruiting class after top 20 recruiting class, you can't do that. At some point in the, in the mediocre ACC Coastal Division, you've got to step forward and win games. And if you're losing it, the Sunbelt teams, and no disrespect to the Sunbelt, but if you're losing the Sunbelt teams, then you're going to lose to ACC teams. Absolutely. Andrew, can't thank you enough for taking time out of your day to talk Tar Heel football as we get ready for the 2022 season. Tar Heel is getting ready to take on two of the top teams in the Sunbelt East, the Gauntlet. That is the Sunbelt East. It is a gauntlet. So be careful. We hope that you you survive with everything intact. Yeah, look, my my survival is all about no typos, 
and only only a minimal amount of anger from our readers and the people who watch our pod. So that's my goal. In the end, it doesn't matter to me who wins. I just want to be good and clean. I got to take care of my intangibles, right? I, I tell you what, though, you can't avoid flaming air, uh, anger of, of malcontent fans to who. Uh, who if, if, they lose those two, if, if they lose those two games, that's exactly what's what it's going to be. <laughs> but it drives subscribers. Uh, that might not. We have to wait for basketball for that. <laughs> All right. Thank so, you very much. What if they win those games? It will. If they win those games and they start out 3-0, and they have an open date after Georgia State and then Notre Dame comes to town. So if they start out 3-0, and which I think those will be two impressive road ones, especially the one in Boone, and they're 3-0 and with an open date, and all these young guys have gotten a month under their belt of being in game week mode, and then Notre Dame comes to town, they have an opportunity to have a special season. I think that's a little too much for this club at this point in time, but maybe in a month that might not be. But we'll have to see what they do in Boone and down in Atlanta first. So, Jeremy, we talked about North Carolina, two yeah. games coming into the Sun Belt. Two games, that's a lot of games to play. That's two blasts of Sun Belt heat. That's a lot of heat. Do you think they would fit as the 15th team into the Sun Belt? I, you know, I think they, they would need to adjust North Carolina. They'd have a couple of years where they struggled, but eventually they'd be able to compete, yeah. I have another candidate for you. Okay. A team that is literally invading, and they definitely know how to invade. Okay. The Sun wow. Belt Conference. And that's the Black Knights of Army. Holy hell. Playing not two. Not two. Three. Not three? Four <laughs> Sunbelt Conference opponents. Two for the first time, two repeats. That is absolutely wild. You know, last year, I think Liberty played three Sunbelt teams. And I thought that was crazy insane. That's so much Sunbelt heat. I mean, that's enough radiation to take out like an entire city. Army's playing four games against the Sunbelt? Are you shitting me? Not in the least bit. And the guy that can tell us all about the Black Knights. Yeah. Joe Iacono. Yes. Bam! Nailed it. <laughs> nice win, Dusty. Good job. I'm glad we can edit everything good else job. out. We, we don't have a ton of Italians in Louisiana, but uh, good Italian food in Louisiana. Sometimes. <laughs> He's an honorary Italian today. <laughs> so Joe, Joe is with Go Black Knights, part of the Rivals Network. Joe, welcome in and tell us... When, when you looked at this 2022 schedule, when you saw fun, four Fun Belt teams, was it exciting or was it like we have to go to Coastal Carolina and play on the Till Field and we have to go to Troy, Alabama, or, or, or was it more of an excitement? So I think for me and a lot of the Army fan base, it was an excitement. Um, you know, I think the the fun belt, as you guys call it, is definitely on the rise. Um, you know, we opened, I live in Atlanta, actually. So we opened down here last year with Georgia State. And, um, you know, we're super excited to open uh, down in, like you said, on the teal field down there uh, in Myrtle Beach at Coastal this year. And Troy's in the greater Atlanta metro area, kind of, sort of. So we have a lot of grads down in this area. So that's a good game for us. Uh, Georgia State comes up to West Point this year. And, of course, uh, your ULM Warhawks uh, come back to West Point. Uh, they were up there two years ago in the weird COVID season. So, yep. So, one thing <clears throat> I remember last year we were talking about in the preseason, we were talking about that big Georgia State uh, uh, Army game. And uh, one of our co-hosts, who, who isn't here right now, but he, he was really excited about Army, and, and but felt like Army was beatable. beatable. And then Army just rolled over Georgia State, like, like, like just like tanks, just destroyed them. And part of the thing is, is that Army seems to have a history, especially early in the year, of making opponents look silly. Why is that? Um, that's a really good question, Jeremy. Yeah. So since Jeff Munkin's been the head coach at Army in 2014, you know, we kind of honestly don't count the first two years because he was he was pulling the program completely off the mat. Right. We were one of the uh -huh. worst teams, not only in FBS, but in all of college football. So if you start from 2016, um, he's only lost one opener. And that was at Duke when Duke had uh, Daniel Jones at quarterback. Um, and, and we made a couple key turnovers in that game. Otherwise, that team honestly probably could have and should have beaten Duke. They ended up 11-2. and two. They were the team that took OU to overtime. 
uh, before they lost to him. So you look at the openers under Coach Monk, and they're very, they seem to play very well. And I think it's, um, you know, you brought up a good point. I mean, I, I can't necessarily put my finger on exactly why, but they, um, I think he just prepares them very, very well. They're him and the rest of the staff. They're very focused going into the first game. I think the other thing that helps that's always a major factor in how Army plays is the team's usually as healthy as they're going to be all year in the first game. And so you're getting the full Monty kind of um, versus, you know, you play us in game five, six, seven. You don't exactly know who's showing up for Army, who's banged up. And, and as you would expect the Army to do, right? They keep injury info very close to the vest, uh, very confidential. So uh, even us being part of the Rivals Network, we have no idea who's healthy on a week-to-week basis. So, so what is it about this Army program that, that's kind of able to find themselves sheltered from all of college football? And by that, they can't hit the transfer portal. They can't sign NIL deals. You're When you sign up, yes, you get your – one year at the academy before you're actually inducted in but for the most part you're in the army by the year two so your roster is pretty consistent how does army kind of handle the landscape of college football right now yeah so i that that topic's been coming up a ton dusty so appreciate you bringing it up so actually the rule at west point and i know this because i was a grad actually the rule is you get two years your first day of class your junior year is when your commitment clock officially starts So you do get the first two years for free. So it's always been said, John Feinstein wrote a book back in the day called Civil War, highlighting the Army-Navy rivalry. And he talked about how the coaches not only have to recruit kids out of high school, but they got to recruit after they go to West Point prep. And then they got to recruit them after their sophomore year to stay. We had our two best skill players on offense, Isaiah Alston and Tyrell Robinson, and entered a transfer portal um, after the bowl game last year and about a month later, both of them decided to stay. Thankfully, um, they were, those would have been huge losses to the offense, but the fact that both of them decided to stay was huge. So, you know, kind of getting back to your original question, um, like you said, the transfer portal doesn't really help any of the three academies, right? It's, it's, it's a one-way portal for us. It's not a two-way street. So um, we only lose kids to the portal. We don't really gain anybody from the portal, right? Because if you come in at West Point, not that you can't play, but you, and we've had this happen once or twice, but you get to start over as a freshman because it's not like you get to skip Beast Barracks, Cadet Basic Training. You got to go through the whole shoot match, right? So there's all that. Um, so, so it's a one-way portal. So obviously big disadvantage for army, um, you know, NIL, I don't think is as big a deal. And here's why I say that a lot of people would disagree with me. Um, you know, I could be wrong, but I don't know how many kids ULM's getting that are signing multi-million dollar NIL deals. Right. And those are the type of kids we're typically competing for. We're not competing for the kids the Collins Hill kid who signed with Deion Sanders, like he ain't coming to arm. Like it's not even on the radar screen. Right. So we're not as worried about that stuff. And when you look at what army has to offer and what the coaches sell out on the recruiting trail is, and and the line, all the kids know it, all the coaches say it, you hear everybody parrot it. You're not making a four year decision. You're making a 45 year decision. You got, a huge you got you come out you have a guaranteed job as a second lieutenant in the army making a relatively competitive salary for a 22 year old Mm -hmm. um you know most west point grads either stay in the army and have a very successful service career or get out and you look at the top you know fortune 100 companies and look at where all the ceos went to school and and don't quote me on this but i'm relatively confident west point has as many ceos as any other school in the country Nice. Um, you look at our average salary for all our graduates, it's right up there with the Ivy League schools, right? But you also get to play big-time D1 football on national TV in the Army-Navy game. You get all the other advantages of a D1 program, but with the academics and the full picture that you get from going to an Ivy League school. And I think what's made Coach Munkin specifically successful at Army when so many other people have failed 
is he lives by the mantra. A lot of other coaches came in and said, we're going to try and win despite the fact that we have all these obstacles and that we're Army. And Coach Munkin completely flipped that on its head and said, no, no, no. We're going to win because we're Army. We're going to be smarter and tougher than anyone we play. Come get some. Like, and the kids just eat it up. Like they are, you interview any kid on our team and it's like talking to one of the coaches, the exact same. I mean, the culture is deeply embedded. It's, it's really cool to watch Um, coming from a, a, I've been a fan since I graduated in the early nineties. And, you know, like I said, our program was on, we were below the basement. We were on a dirt floor of college football and to see what he's done has been just unbelievable. Who knew we were making a recruiting video for army? I, I think Jeff Monken needs to see this video and, and, and hire Joe as like the hype man for every game. I'm about to enlist. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's go fire some howitzers. It's a good time. <laughs> Damn, sounds like a weekend. <laughs> so when you look at this uh, upcoming opening week game against Coastal Carolina, what do you see as far as a team that can kind of run the flex, can kind of run a little spread, can run some triple option? Does that kind of concern you and, and Army on that opening week that you're almost kind of playing yourself? Absolutely, right? So it's – I mean, there's definitely differences between the two offenses. We're more kind of pounding between the tackles, fullback first, right? Um, you know, we'll, we'll run the quarterback, we'll run the pitch, but, you know, given the option, uh, Army would rather just pound the fullback all day long, right? Whereas Coastal will spread you out. They've got the whole spread thing going on. They'll throw the ball. They'll pitch it. McCall take off and run it. Um, very, very scary offense, no doubt about it. Uh, I interviewed Coach Munkin after practice on Saturday, and, I mean, the thing that he just keeps hitting on over and over again, the players do as well, is how well coached Coastal is. They don't make a lot of mistakes. They don't beat themselves. Um, I think McCall had 27 touchdowns last year to three interceptions. Um, they don't fumble the ball. They don't make a lot of stupid penalties. Uh, the fa- I don't understand how Jamie Chadwell has not gotten a P5 job at this point. Um, the guy can flat out coach. And- he pisses till. He's, he'll, he'll tell you. He pisses till. <laughs> like Monken. Monken's the same way, man. Monken is the same way. It's the, he doesn't they're, they're too, literally but... like mirror images of each other in a lot of ways. And no, I think my biggest concern going in um, is the speed on the perimeter that Coastal possesses. Uh, if you watch the Wake Forest film last year, I think our DC Nate Woody is still having nightmares about that game. Um, Wake scored on every single possession except one. Uh, and, and typically Army's got a pretty good defense, but that game was a nightmare. And I think if our corners and, uh, you know, our secondary aren't ready and they miss some assignments or, or, you know, they don't have good eye discipline against Chadwell's option that could create a lot of problems. And then, you know, it also, just like we army normally puts pressure on people to score every possession coastal kind of does the same thing. Um, I think the one X factor that could help our defense is Andre Carter. Um, Andre Carter's made a ton of preseason. He is an athlete Army doesn't typically get. Um, he's 6'7", 260, uh, projected as a first or second round rush end in the draft next year, um, was second in the nation in sacks behind Anderson from Alabama. Um, absolute beast on the outside he actually plays dog backer in Nate Woody's defense which is uh basically the the pass rushing backer and um he will he can also drop back in coverage and with his six seven wingspan he picked off a key pass against Georgia Southern two years ago um he is a guy if he can get to McCall in the passing game and he plays his assignment in the option game He's the one X factor that I think can maybe hopefully slow down Coastal's offense a little bit. With that said, you also get to go down good old Fort Rucker in Alabama to close out your Sunbelt schedule there against Troy. Do things like that really matter in the Army game whenever you can play near a major military base? Absolutely. You know, uh, Army has a, a good number of kids on the team whose parents served in the military, right? So 
Anytime I think we can get near an army base, it's great for fan attendance. First of all, you know, you look at a school like Troy, you know, I don't know how many fans are. I know in the Georgia state game last year, there are as many army fans in the stadium as there were Georgia state fans. Um, So they're a little bit of a home field advantage. Army typically plays very well in the state of Texas for that reason, because there's a lot of military bases in Texas. Um, And from a recruiting standpoint, I think it helps the coaches anytime you can get to a, uh, you know, a military town. So definitely looking forward to the Troy game and, and army being able to play close to Fort Rucker. All right. Well, I'm, I know that Thibodeau wants to ask this question, but he's too modest or perhaps too fearful. What do you expect out of the Warhawks? I haven't even looked that far down the schedule yet. Yeah, no. So, I mean, I had the, I, I did, I had to write the right, the kind of, game by game prediction article for rivals this year for army. So I looked at everything. Um, you know, I think, um, I think Terry Bowden's a good coach yep. for ULM. I think he's going to get the program moving in the right direction. Um, you know, I think a lot of G five schools, what I've seen the last couple of years, and, and you guys probably know this better than I do is a lot of it depends on your ability to recruit transfers in a lot of cases and get those, those high quality transfer kids, JUCO kids, whatever the case may be. Um, you know, there's a ton of high school football talent in the state of Louisiana, right? So, and nobody's saying you've got to beat out LSU, but if, if you could, you know, compete with UL, some of the other teams down there, um, I, I think I expect a tougher ULM team than Army saw two years ago when they kind of oh. just annihilated them. Um so I, you know, I, I think ULM can definitely, the Warhawks can definitely, you know, keep it close. Um, I think the fact that the, if the game were in Louisiana, I think it'd be even a lot closer, but Army at home tends to play pretty well for the most part. Um, if you take away the 2019 season, which was a uh, disappointing season for Army, they've only lost one game at home the last five years. So um, they tend to play very well in the friendly confines of Mikey stadium. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think ULM is going to be an improved team. Be curious to see how y'all do in the Sun Belt this year and, you know, see what kind of season you guys will, will kind of put together. What are kind of, you know, what are you guys thinking have, have, you know, based on what you've seen so far preseason and everything, Jeremy, I mean, you think winning season's a possibility bowl game or, or what are you guys looking at? Jeremy's an Arkansas talking? state guy. So he just likes oh, to okay. pull him under the bus. And especially I just me. Like, yeah, I just oh, okay. like to hear what people have to say about the Warhawks. They're one see, of my see Arkansas, team. Arkansas state is still trying to find a rival. <laughs> so Jeremy just tries to pick fights with everyone. He's like, do you want to be my rival? Do you want to be my <laughs> rival? And so, you know, I, I guess I'm, I'm the low lying fruit that he can, he can pick on. He can pick on. Listen, yeah. I'm jealous because the last Army- time Army played Arkansas state, it was pre Jeff Monk and Army got beat. I remember. I can't even remember a play. Well, no. It was like 10 years ago. I want to say we tore down the goalposts for Army. It was like 10 years ago, yeah. (laughs) I think Army turned the ball over four or five times. Uh, (laughs) Typical typical pre-Monk and Army football, so yeah. (laughs) So last year, y'all did open up with Georgia State. Y'all face them again this year. Do you think it's going to be kind of a rinse and repeat type thing, knowing that Georgia State has so much coming back with that offensive line? Or do you feel that that was kind of, I don't want to say a fluke, but but definitely Georgia State maybe overlooked it. And Georgia, this Georgia year State, won't. yeah, absolutely. I, I believe, and I think if you talk to Sean Elliott, he'd tell you they were unprepared for that game. Um, they just were. I don't know why. They just were. Um, also, they hadn't really settled on Darren Granger yet at the quarterback position. I can't remember who started against Army, but it was Cornelius Brown. Okay, yeah. So I think once Granger got a hold of the offense, things changed a lot for them. Um, you know, they've got a strong running game. I would expect. I, I think in in my article, I predicted an Army win at home, but close. I think one score, probably a one score game. It'll probably come down to the wire and Army will find a way to win at home at the end of the game. I, I don't think Army's going to win by five touchdowns again. So, By the way, uh, I, I checked into it because it did sound familiar. I actually wrote a story about it several years ago. Ah. Arkansas State played – I don't know if it was the last time Arkansas State played Army, but we played each other in 2006. Okay. And we were so thrilled with the victory, Joe. 
that we literally tore down the goalposts and walked them out of the stadium. So that was a big deal for us. When you're, when you're tearing down the goalpost against 2006 Army, <laughs> it did hundreds of dollars worth of improvements to that stadium. Exactly. <laughs> hey, no, we won 14 to six. And uh, oh, barn burner. Yeah, it was a big deal. Reggie Arnold pounded out 140 yards in the score. Man, we beat Army. It was a big deal for, listen, you think that. 2006 Army was bad. 2006 Red Wolves were, they weren't even the Red Wolves, they were the Indians. It was much worse. So <laughs> we were, we're proud to tear down goalposts in That's the name of stuff. Army. <laughs> Army. I think the only time Army ever tore down their goalposts was when it was like, right, it was like a couple of years before that. They had the longest losing streak in the country. And then Bobby Ross <laughs> came in as the head coach and they finally won a game like after two years or something. So. <laughs> Now there's video of this uh, teardown. So if you ever want to see, I'm, I'm going to go to YouTube and check it out. <laughs> I'll send you a link. <laughs> Jeremy's probably uploading it as we speak. I, I, I can laugh about it now because Army's good. Like back twenty oh, years yeah. ago, fifteen years ago, I wouldn't have found it so funny. But now, <laughs> like that. <laughs> well, Joe, we we thank you so much for taking time out to give us a preview of the Army invading the Sun Belt Conference in the 2022 season. Looking forward to seeing how those games shake out, and we'll definitely be watching the season opener there when they travel to Coastal Carolina. Yeah, that Coastal game is going to be exciting. I'm I'm really pumped about that game. So. Hey, do me a favor. If you end up going, I don't know if you personally intend to go to that game, take whatever vitamins necessary to build up an immunity to teal because you will have teal overload <laughs> at Coastal Carolina. I don't know <laughs> if it's vitamin D, vitamin C, Vitamin A and C and D. I don't know what it is, but prepare yourself. Like all Take your military trainings. Well, it's concerning, down. right? Because the army, we usually do camo, yeah. but like they have the teal unis, the teal field. The, I, I'm like, how do you see these guys? It's going to be super confusing. So it might make you physically ill, and that's the whole point of it. So just build up a resistance, maybe. I'll be ready. I will pump the antioxidants going in. So. Thanks, Dusty and Jeremy. Really appreciate it, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, and go Army. Go Army. See y'all. Go Warhawks, too. All the talk of football, Jeremy. Yeah. There's more Sunbelt sports underway. Obviously, soccer going on with the Warhawks getting a big 3-0 win with a hat trick to open the season against Texas A&M Commerce. How did the Red Wolves do in their opener? Uh, in their opener, they lost to UAPB. And here's what's funny about the opener with UAPB, Dusty, is that Arkansas State took 27 shots on goal. UAPB took three. Efficient. A-State lost one to zero. <laughs> hey, it happens. It happens to us all, Jeremy. Oh, man. But then we bounced back and beat UCA. So we're one and one on the season. We're good. One of the other sports getting ready to start up. Yeah. The indoor mm-hmm. volleyball season, and joining us, who who's the, on who's in the green room right now? One of the Western Division, my Warhawks head coach, pick seventh in the West, but we're gonna sure. we're gonna rise, okay, like right. a phoenix. Let's do it. Charlie Olson, head coach, director of volleyball for the ULM, joins us to hey, talk Charlie. to talk about the volleyball that the Warhawks are going to play this year in 2022. Welcome <laughs> in there, Coach. Thank you. No, thank you for having me. Um, going into year four uh, and having played through a shotgun start year one, having played through COVID year two, having played inexperienced freshman year three, and then now we're balanced and uh, under the radar year four. So here we are. Do you know how to act not knowing that there's like – national crises and global pandemics and everything else that's right i mean you always kind of keep an ear to the wind and you said okay we got kind of a a crisis overseas possibly and uh covid's still around and we have the opportunity to play volleyball today so let's let's just play our our the best that we can today so as i said you're director of volleyball there at ulm over the indoor and sand volleyball outdoor that the Sunbelt just recently started sponsoring, taking it away from Conference USA with the expansion of the conference. Jeremy, I'm going to ask this and you're going to give me that look. All right. Okay. I know there's fewer people for sand volleyball, but what is the real difference between 
outdoor and indoor volleyball. Are you asking me? No, I am not asking you. You implied that you're asking me. I thought I just knew that you were going to have a comment. I'm not going to have any comment. No, I'm here to learn and listen. Good. So the big difference is that there's only one game going on with indoor and there's five to six with the exhibition going on with beach. So you play 10 at a minimum, uh, 12 at a maximum with, with beach. Uh, you'd play six with a minimum with indoor and you play up to, I think the rule is up to 16 players um, with substitutions um, with, uh, with, with indoor. Um, one has elements, one does not. Um, you can pretty much decipher which one is which. Uh, beach is in the, the spring for championship segment. You start in sunny uh, late February. Uh, so there's that. And then you finish beach volleyball in May, which isn't even in the summertime. Um, and then indoor, uh, we get to be in air conditioning 24 7 365 so there's um there's definitely different cultures with the two groups um at ulm uh we were we were the first or one of the first teams to to start beach volleyball back in 2013 uh the inaugural inaugural year uh with the collegiate uh beach volleyball in um you know, nationally here. And, um, since then, uh, we've, we've been fully funded from a scholarship standpoint and we still lean on shared coaches. So I went and hired, uh, an assistant indoor slash head beach coach this past, uh, semester. He's now, uh, taking, um, taking, you know, the beach team, uh, in this new, newly appointed head coaching role, um, and then spends the other half of his time here with us with, with the indoor side. So, um, it's, uh, it's long days for everybody, but it's kind of an all hands on deck, um, learn as we go and, uh, love what you do. Now are the indoor teams and the beach teams, do they rumble? Do they, do they have like a, like a rivalry with each other? Do they, do they kind I, of like. They get along for the most part, you know, and, <laughs> and, and currently we only have one player who plays both sports. Um, so when when beach volleyball first kind of started out back in 2013 uh the the, the teams as as they were starting up programs uh they shared players so the indoor team would then play uh sand uh or majority of them would would play sand um but but since then most of the of the teams collegiately um now have separate rosters so now we have 17 players on our indoor roster i got 15 players on our beach roster with one of those players playing ball. So, you know, we're looking to continually grow the sport, grow the game, grow the rivalries. Right. Um, and I think it's just, it, it, it's always fun to, uh, to, to go and support each other. Um, when the indoor team's playing our, our beach team is either working, uh, the desk doing stats to make some extra money or in the stands cheering. Um, and then with our, with our beach, uh, tournaments, um, the indoor team is definitely out there working or working on their suntan. So, <laughs> I'm kind of jealous of that. I mean, I, I, I wish I was still around to where I could go hang out and, and work on the tan, watch some volleyball. I mean, what, Jeremy, I would have had another nine year career at ULM. Uh, you know, you've got hops. I've seen you jump. I, I think anymore. that you would, you would have, you would probably would have been a real benefit, a real addition to any team. And I think you would have, you would have, you would have enjoyed the beach vibe, the beach culture. I mean, there's music playing the whole time. And it's a little bit more relaxed. It's not as, you know, white collar as indoor has, has been for years. And um, it's just, it, it's just different. And Tibbs looks really good in a tank top. So there's I that. Take your word for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so with that, you, you, you get started with a couple of tournaments, most notably this upcoming weekend at Tarleton State. But you'll get to play some familiar foes there with Northwestern State on the schedule. Do those in-state games mean a little bit more, knowing that really Louisiana is a, is a state that just doesn't have very good high school volleyball to kind of feed up and, and grow that excitement of the sport? Yeah, and not and not even that it's it, it's good or bad. Uh, specifically in Northern Louisiana, it's just it, it's rare. Uh, there's like three or four high schools in a ninety-mile radius from Monroe that have high school volleyball, and that's not the same as in Texas or the rest of the United States, right? 
um, or even in South Louisiana where, where high school volleyball is, is fairly prevalent. Um, but for, for us, for La Tech, for Gremlin, for, um, for Northwestern state, um, we don't have the, the, the access to the, the high schools, um, with the level of players that can play division one volleyball, uh, at least not yet. Uh, I think we're, we're probably a few years removed from seeing, um, some, some players come out of Northern Louisiana to, to get to, to, and be successful at the division one level. Um, but yeah, those games definitely mean more. I've known Sean, their head coach for a long time. And, um, there's, there's a little bit of a rivalry for sure. Um, and we, 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 we both want to win. We both want to, um, lay it out there. We play them twice this year. Um, and, uh, you know, we're, we're going to give them our best, our best, uh, lineup that, that first set. So. Looking up and down the roster of, of your, your team this upcoming year, pretty young, a lot of freshmen, a lot of sophomores. Is that kind of concerning that you don't have the experience maybe that other teams will, and, and that'll kind of hinder you, or do you feel that that's just maybe giving you that advantage later in the year as they kind of learn the game or even next year? Yeah, so uh, we're actually more balanced than what the roster kind of shows. Um, all of our returning sophomores, they all played last year as freshmen. Um, that was a, a, a big point that I wanted to do. I wanted to give them experience um, playing like actual game playing experience as opposed to most of the other teams in our conference that played their seniors, played their COVID seniors. Um, their freshmen didn't play, you know, for the most part. Um, ours did. And we uh, refueled with bringing on some all-state players uh, with this freshman signing class um, and then uh, supplemented that with uh, some graduate transfers um, that are all pretty talented. Um, last year, I had nine freshmen on my, on my roster, eight of them played, um, and I had one true senior, Callie Astley, who ended up transferring to Buffalo for her fifth year. Um, the other two seniors who graduated – they were technically juniors in the, uh, on the court. So um, last year was extremely unbalanced from a, um, you know, a leadership you know, standpoint um, and playing um, efficiency standpoint. This year, we're extremely balanced in, in all positions. Let me ask you, uh, just in competitive wise, we've got the new people that have come in uh, and for indoor. Uh, outdoor is, is sort of a you know, getting it all put together. But for the indoor, Sunbelt has been competing for a long time and uh, actually plays really good volleyball. Uh, maybe got a little screwed last year for the NCAAs with the uh, Big 12 seeming to get in programs that, and this is, Sh this is Shane Metlin's story that I, I got this from, uh, from Tibbs, but from what I understand, it, Big 12 programs that got, a lot of the Big 12 programs that got in, had very similar profiles to Sunbelt programs that got in. Who do you see as your big rivals or your big uh, obstacles in the uh, Sunbelt West? So Sunbelt West, um, Texas State will always be up there, um, yeah. mainly because, you know, Sean, he's going into, I think, his third year. Um, but he's been with the program now for like 16 years. So um, and they 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 do a very good job recruiting Texas talent and then, you know, some outside the state, um, but they're, they will always be good. Um, we acquired South Alabama, which is a travesty because they're good um, having, uh, you know, won the conference championship last year. Um, we play them on the road twice this year. Um, so that that's going to be an obstacle for sure. Um, they're, they're extremely talented, very well coached. Um, and you know, are, are coming off of a, off of a winning season. Um, and then, you know, we have our, our neighbors to the South who, you know, um, I have my thoughts about our in-state rivals, right. But they're good and they play with high energy. Luckily we do not have to play them at their place this year. We get them twice at home. Uh, one of them being senior days. So that's, that will benefit us. I, I, I think more so than playing in the newly, you know, re refurbished, uh, gym that, that they have. Um, but, um, you know, we're Sunbelt is balanced and, you know, we do, you, you do the, all the preseason voting and, and so on and so forth. I think any team on any given day can win. And that's just how the conference is. It, it it's, it's pretty tight. Um, you know, if you were to look at historically win loss, ULM obviously has not been at the top, um, nor at the middle or, 
not the bottom two, just the bottom one, right? So, um, you know, how do we, how do we, how do we get out of that, that, that pit? Um, and it's just, you, you have to work harder every day, more so than every other team. Um, and, you know, you, you, you have to, we have to, um, you know, just, just keep lighting that fire every single day for our players. Um, our first year we beat Little Rock. It was the first time in like 33 years. Like that stat wow. actually existed. We've never beat Arkansas State ever. It's like 34, 35 years. Oh, man. This year we had the opportunity to finally wipe out that crazy stat. You know, these are the odds that are, are laid against our team. And yet we have 17 players that have, have volunteered their, their services in, and have said, yeah, we, we're, we're winners. We hate losing. That's awesome. You know, if we can continue that um, and, and get over that hump of the 21, 22, 23 points that we hit last year with inexperience, we're going to do some, some good things. Uh, do I think we're going to win the conference championship? No, no, because we're not, we're not there. We're not, we're not there. However, I think we can get some traction during preseason, uh, win some games that were statistically probably not supposed to uh, come conference time and, and stir, stir up the pot a little bit. I like it. And the, and the best thing, Jeremy, we'll actually get to watch volleyball this year with the expansion of ESPN covering softball, volleyball, as well as men's, women's basketball. Does that mean more for your program and you feel make it a little bit easier to kind of get that exposure that you want to build and establish your program? Yeah, 100%, especially as some of our conference foes, you know, they have Texas State, I think every single one of their games and, and you know, matches in years past – we're a, a ESPN broadcast, you know, and ours last year, we had to, Hey, pick three or four. Well, why not? Why not nine? Why not all of them? That, that, that is awful. You know, especially when we don't have one player from Louisiana that's on our roster currently. And oh, wow. all of them need to have access to, to have their families, you know, watch them play if they can't make it um, at, you know, home or away. Um, I think that, that just adds and really helps grow the game. And I, I'm, I'm a huge proponent of, of uh, the, the, the coaches within the volleyball community because we're all trying to push exposure to our sport. Um, you know, how do we give us, you know, someone an opportunity to watch something other than football during the fall? You know, other than, uh, and, you know, and, and, and soccer deserves it as well. We, we deserve the exposure, even though even even if it's just ESPN plus we're an online only give us some platform to be viewed. It's coming soon. It's, it's coming, coming soon. soon. I love it. And I know I'll at least watch it. Jeremy won't, but I will. I will. Watch. Well, I'll, yeah, I'll watch. I'll watch. Definitely. Coach, we thank you so much for your time. Join us, spreading the word of Warhawk and educating us on volleyball as we get ready for the upcoming season beginning later this week, Jeremy. Ah, looking forward to it. I do enjoy the volleyball season. Jeremy, hopefully you learned something from director of volleyball, Charlie Olson, about volleyball. I cannot believe that the Warhawks have never defeated the Red Wolves at volleyball. I it feels like playing football, too. <laughs> we have a, have a long string of victories against Warhawks on the gridiron. That's true. I did not expect to hear that about volleyball, but wow. Yeah. Get it together, Warhawks. I'm doing what I can. <laughs> With that said, though, it's time for our plugs, promos, and parting shots. Okay. Jeremy, lay it on us. All right. Well, my parting shot, I don't really have a plug except for Reed. Howraiser.com is a message uh, to Troy, who recently had uh, some uh, kind of fairly awful news come out, some some brouhaha going on in the locker room. I won't go into it. I don't feel like it. I, I feel it's kind of gross and disgusting. But I really do feel like that college football and just any athletic program in general sometimes needs to stand back and say, let's act like adults here. I know these are, we call these guys 18-year-old kids, 19-year-old kids, 20-year-old kids. Uh, it's not time to be kids anymore. It's time to grow up. So, Troy, clean up your act. And uh, that's all I'm going to say about that. How about you, Tibbs? 
Point of clarification earlier when we said that Arkansas State had beaten Army. That was in 2006. It was. Arkansas State later had to vacate such victory due to NCAA violations. So good luck to you there, Jeremy. Yeah, that sucked. As always, WarhawkReport.com for the latest on Warhawks. HalRazor.com for the latest on Arkansas State. And this is Fun Belt Podcast. We'll be back again next week on Thursday. Yeah. We get ready to preview week one action. A lot of action this week, but no Sun Belt Conference games going on. I'm going to take a little peek at that Nevada game to see what Texas State's going to be facing next week, as well as the brouhaha that is happening between Jacksonville State and Stephen F. Austin with new <laughs> head coach of the Gamecocks. Rich Rod claiming that the Lumberjacks have sent coaches to record his practices and his games. Yeah, what a what a mess that is. And by the way, August 27th, this Saturday, is the Global Classico featuring uh, 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 a Texas college football team, Division II or whatever, against uh, the Red Wolves of Mexico. So week zero. Red Wolves will be playing. It just won't be Arkansas State and Jonesboro. Oso Blanco is white bear. What would you say is Red Wolf in Spanish? Well, that'd be a rojo. What's what's dog? Rojo. Rojo. Rojo.